All right. Welcome back, folks, to another night with me. Just F and Senate Pie. This is really you hearing like feedback and fuzzy shit? No, that's good. All right, well. It's cleared up now. Okay, so I've got Audacity recording at the same time. It's the first time doing this, so we gotta do a, a radio check. Let's go ahead and say something, make sure it picks up. Hey, what's up? Hear me? Okay, it's it's picking up. I don't think you're quite as loud as I am the levels or whatever, but I'm going to check it out. Either way, if this doesn't work, then I can just basically do what I normally do. So it just doesn't really matter if this doesn't work. I just want to try it for the first time. But anyway, um, before I get started, I do want to say this. I didn't mention, I meant to mention this in the last podcast with Keith, uh, but the, the, the one and only, uh, I guess negative comment that I've gotten or whatever. I forgot to mention that he complained that every other word was fuck. <laughs> okay. Um, Effin is in the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and if you listen to the first episode, like I tell everyone to do it, I go into great detail. This is not a kid friend. Cause he said he has a kid in the car. Yeah. Like it says Oops. it in the, the <laughs> description. Yeah. I said it in the description of the podcast. Do not listen to this with children present. Yeah. I've said it and I've given that disclaimer everywhere. So kids or actually parents, if you have kids with you, turn it off <laughs> now and never click on my podcast to play again when you've got children with you. I don't I do my best not to talk this way in front of my kid and I don't talk this way in front of other people's kids. So uh, I don't know where your kids are when you're listening to this. So let me do you a favor and, and tell you to, to not listen to it in front of them. But anyway, I got Sam Burns back. Good buddy, Sam, uh, with Accuracy Obsession, of course. Sam B300 on Sniper's Hide. Sam, how you doing, buddy? What's up, man? How's it going? Doing good, doing good. Um. Yeah, I didn't know uh, you, you hit me up and wanted to do another podcast. We have literally done no pre-work up to this. So I have no idea what we're going to talk about tonight, but that's completely okay. Yeah, I got some I got some notes just so I don't forget anything. But, yeah, I just wanted to kind of touch base and let everybody know what's going on with the chassis and, and all that jazz and just talk about some other stuff. Yeah, but dude. Before, well, hey, the, the floor is yours. So what beer are you drinking? The old trusty. It's in 1985. It is. I went. I went to. Uh, we have a place called Total Wine. They have a million different kinds of beers. We got and, them here. Yeah, they didn't have. I asked, and they said, "Oh, maybe we'll get more in April." I was like, "Damn it!" But yeah, so I, yeah, I'm it's drinking. A beer. Yeah, I'm drinking Sierra Nevada Dankful IPA. Very good choice, my friend. Good choice. Seven point four percent. It's uh, it's pretty okay. damn good. You gotta crack that bitch open, baby. There we yep, go. Cheers, happy new year. Hey, cheers, brother. Happy new year, and happy. New, I, my, I'm sorry. Happy new year to all my listeners. You guys are awesome. So, had wet my whistle. What uh, what's up? What's new? What's new and and going on? Since we haven't had you on since. We talked about the launch and we just really got it going. I think you might have had a couple pre-orders in, and I mean, I, obviously, I know how that went, and uh, so let's let's talk about it. Let's uh, how did it go? Okay, since our last podcast, where yeah. has Accuracy Obsession 
been uh, been at since then. So the last time we talked, and the only reason I know this is because I was in my Skype log because I never use Skype, was in April, and that was when I was taking the orders um, for the pre-order, and I had a PO in at the machine shop that I was using here in the U.S. And uh, basically, long story short, you know, a lot of support from you know snipers hide community people on that followed me on Facebook and Instagram. You know, some people that listen to you. And I had about 25 or 30 pre-orders. I had um, 40 complete kits made, and I sold all of them out. I mean, looking back, I, I kind of wish I had more made, but I, you know, it was it was a contract with the machine shop where I had to pay them before I was going to get all the money from the customers. So it was it was a risk I didn't want to go too crazy with, but the feedback I've gotten has been really positive and um you know that's kind of what i wanted to talk about some more today is just what the next steps are so sure you know for for anybody that might not know or isn't familiar with ais or or what i did basically i designed a competition oriented chassis for the short action ai platform you know the the current at and ax also fits with an aw so basically if you're willing to get out a heat gun and debond the epoxy that's holding the the AT or the AX chassis together take the action off and glue it back together with mine and and you're good your to butt go with stock. yeah and your butt yep. stock same thing yep take the butt stock you know reuse the butt stock or get an AX butt stock and you know I really had been working on it for a couple of years just with the features in mind of what the current competition shooter wants, which is just a long forend with an arc rail, you know, really right stuff dovetail, the ability to add a bunch of weight to it, and just getting that bore axis as low as possible, or high as possible, however you want to look at it when you set it down on a bag. And mm-hmm. that's really what I think I accomplished pretty well for, you know, designing something myself and, and sourcing a machine shop. And, you know, I, I know I know you're part of all the threads on Sniper's Hide, but there's a lot of, I think, happy people out there. And hopefully 2021 gives us all more opportunities to shoot matches because, you know, some of the guys got them towards the end of the year and there just wasn't much left to shoot, unfortunately, mm-hmm. with COVID and, and everything like that. Yeah, it, I tell you, um, we actually, the, the class I took in, uh, in Tennessee uh, with, with Frank Galley, and um, in Tennessee, it was uh, a ton of AIs were on the line. It wasn't yeah. all AIs, but man, there was a ton of them. And Ryan, I'm sure he's probably he's probably listening to this or will listen to this. Um, he, we and him both had your chassis on the line. It was Frank's first time getting to the finger fuck the chassis, and he he really liked it. And um, and Mark Taylor did too. Um, and he 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 told me like, yeah, you. You knocked it out of the park with what you're going for was that turn that AI into as I mean a close to a competition purpose built rifle as an AI can be yeah and uh, and it hit I mean you hit every nail on the head and it it's I mean I mean everybody's heard me talk about it on all, all the random episodes that I mentioned it not just the one with you but I tell you it completely changed completely changed the the way it, it made the rifle more dynamic 
as far as it is now no longer handicapped to anything else that someone would be shooting in a Remington 700 clone or footprint. Uh, it's, I mean, the, if you did a 700 with a buttstock, I mean, I, I'd buy it, you know, yeah. and I've got all the options in the world for chassis that I can buy and put it in. And if you made that chassis with a, a, a buttstock or whatever, then I would buy it. I mean, and put, and put my rifle in it. I love it. So, yeah. And I mean, I, I want to sell, you know, as many as I can and, and have people get to experience the benefits at matches. But when I see people on sniper's hide, you know, there's always the, what should I get AT or AX and all that? I, I'll be completely honest. If you're, if you want to just lay down and shoot prone, an AT is awesome. I love an AT. I love how it looks. I love how it feels. If you're shooting offhand, it's just not perfect for matches. And if you shoot night vision or you, for some reason, you know, need it folded and compact, or you actually, you know, you have tactical things you need to do, an AX is pretty freaking awesome too for that. I mean, you you don't need a competition chassis if you're hunting coyotes off a tripod. I mean, with yeah, night vision. Just banging steel for fun, shits and yeah. gigs. Or you're getting ready for the boogaloo. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't I don't claim that it's the cure for everything. I think the chassis I designed can do everything. You can lay down prone and plank, or it's got a night vision bridge that's in line and everything like that, but you don't need it. Now, if you spend five weekends a year shooting two day matches with an AT, I guarantee that this is going to improve how you shoot off of barricade. It's just, it's night and day different. And that's, that's the big benefit. Absolutely. I I shot two matches, um, with, uh, my AT in the AT chassis. And I'll tell you, it definitely left a lot to be desired. I mean, a lot. Yeah. Um, one in one stage in particular was a porthole that I could not get my rifle in with even the thinnest of bags because it just rode so high on that, on that bag to where now I can fit, you know, whatever I can shoot it the same way as everyone else does now. And I'm not having the issues. I don't even really, I have a pretty even on you know it was an at and i didn't have the the ax uh handguard to go over i i so i i'm have the ability to go as low as i can with it and even with those low rings and the scope i still couldn't yeah you know and so that it didn't matter it just rode so high it was literally riding flush with basically the bottom of the magazine and now it's just, I mean, it runs just like my MDT does. Yeah. And it's its a phenomenal um, chassis for, for competition. You, you leave nothing on the table by shooting AI now. It gets rid of all of that. Because you, if, you were, if you were wanting, if you were on like Sniper's Hide, and you were like, hey, I want a rifle that I you know, buy once, cry once, I had the money to spend, I want a you know, bulletproof rifle, um, but I may shoot some matches with it too. I haven't gotten into the competition side yet. Um, a lot of people would steer you towards an AI because of all the prior stuff requirements they said, but then may steer you away because of the last one. Yeah. 
now there's no there's no um downfall to getting an ai and doing this for the competition side but yeah like you said you don't have to have you don't you know this isn't where a, a chassis where you're now hindered in anything else because it you have this chassis no it'll do everything that an ax will do it'll do everything an at will do outside of competition but then still do competition 10 yeah. times better yeah yeah and i shot a, an at for a year, year and a half, and then I went to the AX, and I mean, a big reason I bought the AX was I thought I could manufacture my own hand plate, like that really right stuff plate, but do it thinner or machine that away, and that was my first step in thinking, how can I make this go closer to the bore axis, and you know, the, the AX then was almost worse, because you had that big really right stuff block, then you have the tall scope rail and then you have to run an inch and a half tall rings to clear the handguard so then going into a cattle gate or a porthole like you said was even harder with an ax so then it was just like what what the heck am i doing how can i how can i modify a 6500 gun to make it like an acc or something like that and that's why i pretty much just had to go back and do everything from scratch and make a whole replacement rather than trying to do something that bolted onto it. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, you, what people don't understand about as far as the, the order number that you initially did. I mean, this is, people got to realize Sam does not have a CNC machine. No, no. And so you literally, you know, you stroked a check or sent a credit card number with your name on it to get these fuckers paid for to mm-hmm. get them machined when, you know, anybody, you only ask for a very small deposit relative to the price of the whole chassis to, to basically for you to throw your money down on. So 40, 40 chassis is a big investment. Now you yeah. put a lot in it, uh, you know, for the average man that that's a big chunk of change. And, that that's why you did as many as you did, which for 40 feels me, you did more than I'd have done, but, um, (laughs) you know, but you know, it's, uh, they, they sold pretty daggone quick. Um, I, and I told you they would, I told you that they would sell. I mean, I was trying to be the little devil on your shoulder. Hey, do it. They'll sell, do it. And the original run, you know, that you have and a couple others, I had five made and I only have one of those because I, gave them a way to be tested. I mean, you you got a chassis, two other guys got one, and the machine shop kept one for their display. And there was, you know, there was no quid pro quo for that. It was tested, and I, I'd rather know if it sucks or what can be improved. It wasn't to stroke my ego or anything. So, I mean, I appreciate, you know, your testing and the other guys that did who, I won't say who they are here, but, you know, there's stuff on social media about, some of those other test chassis and i'm glad that i decided to do that i it wouldn't have done me any good to have five of them in my basement anyway right yeah and i wasn't about i wasn't about to yeah i wasn't about to sell them either and say hey i've never tested this or seen if it fits or anything but who wants to give me 1500 bucks for it like i wasn't going to do that either well i should appreciate it and i'll tell you this 
had you said after I gave you my input, okay, all right, I'll either send it back to me or I'd like you ain't getting this chassis back. Here's some money, yeah. bro. Here's yeah. the money because I you ain't getting it back. One, I ain't deboning it again because I'm too lazy. <laughs> Secondly, it's just it's too good. I'm not letting it go. It I, I honestly I don't even know where my factory chassis is. I, I think it's in that box over there. If shit can go in the trash can, I'll give a damn. It's uh I have like four of them. Yeah. I don't they're, have four useless. rifles, but I've just acquired so many parts over the years and chassis and it's uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do with them. Because who wants to buy a factory AT chassis? You can't do anything with it. Uh, no, you can't it ain't like you can drop something else in it. No. Sure. I mean Anyway, so, so what's what's next? What's next on on the in on the horizon for accuracy obsession? So the big news and I mean I haven't really said a lot on sniper's hide i'm still you know figuring out all the details but you know i have shared some information the name of a company so i'm i'm partnering with a company in norway called the vision products and the owner he's i'd kind of equate him to like the mad scientists that we know like ted at american rifle company josh at pva mm-hmm. hawkins spur it, his name's christian and he he's crazy. I mean, he's got <laughs> he's got his own machine shop. He's got his own line of chassis that he designed from the ground up for Remington 700, the Seiko TRG, the Sig Sauer 200, which is big over in Norway. Which is a kick-ass action. It's so I cool. Mean, I, I told him cool. I want one so bad. They look yeah, so you, slick. You used to be able to get them here. Yeah. But you can't. You cannot. I've asked. Ask me how I know. I went and looked for. I've looked for yeah. one and wanted one. So uh, you can't get them here now. Dude, he's got videos of running those, and they look so badass. Yeah, I like them. Um, so basically, somebody from Norway reached out to me and said, "Hey, can I get one of these chassis? How can I get one?" I said, "I don't know. I'm. I might make another run." But I don't know how I'm gonna get one to you. It's it's a lot of work to export one. So there, told, there's yeah there's one customer in Canada that's got one because I sold it to a distributor. They did all the paperwork and then upcharged him. And it's awesome to say I've got one in Canada, but I wouldn't do that for five different guys. I mean it's a ton of work. So he gave me Christian's contact information and. We talked and really just hit it off. I mean, the dude is is a shooter. He's an engineer, designer, machinist. Like, he, I can design something and put it in CAD, but that's all I got. He can do everything, and it's right. like, I we talked about this, and he was really interested because he's an AI shooter. He he's got all those other rifles, but he loves AIs, and he's like. Yeah, let's do it. Let, let me make some. And I'm like, okay, I don't I don't know what that means, but okay. And he freaking made, machined them in like two months. He was done and had them installed on his <laughs> rifle and was testing them. I mean, it's it's crazy. And he, um, the kind of the process we came to is he's got a chassis of his own. It's got its own forend and kind of unique design. Looks a little bit different than mine, but, you know, it's Arca Rail. M-lock slots on the side, internal weight, night vision bridge, all of that stuff. And I said, why don't you integrate your design with mine? Why reprogram everything, have new tooling fixtures and all? Like, why? Just 
see what you can do, integrate them together. And a day later, he sends me a picture of the CAD files already done. And I was like, okay, let's let's do it. Let's make it a joint effort sure. instead of just yeah. saying this is my design because it's going to function the same. And I think his looks really cool too. So where we are with that is he already made 20 of them. Like he just, he's one of those guys that he said, I'm not going to make one. It's not worth my time. So here I've got 20 of them. He's already installed one on his and one of his friends. They've shot matches with it. He's got some other that are being tested and, he said there's not really anything to change because it, it was the final design that I had that I right. sold to customers anyway. This wasn't a prototype anymore. And the plan right now is he's making a bunch and we're going to try to figure out how many to import into the U.S. And he's going to try to sell them in Norway and Europe. He's got a distributor there. And you know, we're going to try to figure out the U.K., because they've got sporting services that sells AI, but we don't know if we're going to try to sell to the UK direct or work with distributors. You know, the, this isn't going to be numbers in the thousands no matter what. It's still going to be low quantities, kind of a custom thing. But we think yeah. the numbers are there, especially in Norway. I mean, you said guys love AIs, but kind of the same thing. They're not the ideal match rifle and all those guys have AXs, which is interesting. He said like nobody buys an AT out there because when you sign the check, he said it takes nine months to get a rifle. So like here, Jesus Christ, you know, you know the deal, right? You buy an AT and then a year later, you're like, ah, shit, I guess I should have bought an AX. So I'll buy an AX. So he's like there, they don't, they just buy the AX. So yeah, well, look, I mean, if you if if certain people now have their way, that's the way to be here. Yeah. We're not gonna get one at all. So no kidding. We'll see how that goes. But dude, that's cool. Yeah, dude. Um, there's if you look at I don't know how many I don't know videos you've seen on Instagram or YouTube of guys in Europe shooting. Dude, there's a ton of fucking AIs. Mm-hmm. There's a bu- bunch of Tikas, a bunch of Seikos. A bunch of those uh, Sig uh, 2000, uh, 2000 or 200s. It's 200 and then yeah, the two. three and then the 3000. Yeah, that's that's where I got a thousand from. Yeah, um, and then a, a ton of AIs. I mean, well, think about it. They, you know, AIs like Remington over there. It's a, it's Europe. I mean, yeah. it's it's no different. It's you know, Norway might as well be a state of Europe, you know, instead of its yeah. own country. So, um. So yeah, they 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 run a lot of AIs over there. So and I think competition is getting really big over there in the last couple of years. Like mean when I say competition, I mean as we know it, as the, mm-hmm. as competitions like where it'll be just very little difference between a match here and a match there. Um, the you know topography is a lot different, but you know as far as the type of course of fire and and props and stuff, it's very very similar. And you're still seeing more AIs per match there, obviously, than you do yep. here. You know, and I think a lot of that's what a lot of what you said is they they them acquiring the firearm is is as much of a process as it is. They're gonna go, they're gonna spend the money, and I mean, think about an, an AI just the nature of itself. It's so versatile. They have that, you know, one man with one rifle type mindset yeah. over there. 
you know, and then it's just screw barrels off. Now, some countries, they serialize their barrels. And so barrels are like trying to buy firearms over there. So that's why you still see a lot of 308s, a lot of 6.5 Swedes. I mean, yeah. tons of 6.5 Swedes. Um, and then the Creedmoors. And, you know, they don't have 10 barrels for their one AI like we do, you know. So, but it, it the AI makes sense, though. They don't have to go through a gunsmith. They have to get the barrel, and that's it, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know what their regulations are, that, but he makes his own barrels, so... You know, he he put his AX action into the chassis and was just, oh, I spun up a 6.5 Creed barrel and we just took it and shot it at the match. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, I wish I could do that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I wish I right? had that in my shop. That'd be badass. And, no shit. But I told him, I was like, dude, if I could get a, a Sour 200 in 6.5 by 55 in his chassis, that would be so fucking dope. I would love Ew. that. <laughs> yeah, it would be, man. <clears throat> I keep... It just kind of off subject, but it, it reminded me we we're having um, me and a, a buddy of mine. We we're having a discussion about hunting cartridges and stuff like that and how some guides and out west, they won't allow anything. I think six, five PR. Now that there's a PRC, that's the smallest okay. cartridge that they'll like. talking they'll, like elk? Yeah, elk hunting. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, do they not realize that? The 6.5 by 55 Swede has killed more moose than any moose, which are bigger than yeah. elk, than any other caliber in the fucking world. Yeah. I mean, they literally whack everything over there with a 55 Swede. Mm-hmm. And it does the job. Yeah. You know? you know, it's just not as big a hole as someone shooting a, uh, you know, Weatherby or a Lapua or a Rum mm-hmm. or something like that. But, I mean, if, if marksmanship is at your forefront, I mean, shit. These Creedmoors, these Swedes, these uh, all all these cartridges will do the damn job. Yeah. And don't take the stupid shots, you know, 900 yards with a Creedmoor on a fucking 450, 500 pound elk. Yeah. You know, that's a little bit. You're asking a little bit too much of the damn cartridge. How about you? You stalk a little bit closer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But um, I mean, most people even with a rum can't make that shot. So on an animal, so. There's, there's that, but yes. What else, man? What's going yeah, on in your so, life? What's going on in your life? Let's talk about you for a second. What's talk going about on? me. Yeah. yeah. Baby number two on the way. How long, how far along is, is her? Is, is she? Sorry. Uh, she's like 21 weeks, 22 weeks, something like that. She's due mid May, but the plan is it'll be a week or two before that plan, just with her delivery birth plan and all that jazz so mm-hmm. i have a, a a daughter she'll be four in february and then baby number two is a boy so oh, be ex- okay. exciting yeah dude. I, I i like being a dad to a girl i mean it's not like uh, there's the barbies and the princesses and all that but it's like she's so sweet and i, I love having a daughter it's going to be interesting to have a son because it's like like any parent, I've had a daughter for four years. It's all I know. And mm-hmm. she plays with whatever we play with, Legos, or she loves to be outside and hike and throw snowballs and stuff. So it's not like I've got a little delicate princess, but it's not like a tomboy that I'm forcing to be a boy. So it's like it's it's fun. Yeah, she's just normal. Yeah. That's really what it comes exactly. down to. So 
you know, I'm the exact, I'm in the exact opposite, but which we're not pregnant or anything, but we've, and we're don't plan to be, but we've, I've got a little boy, you know, he's five and a half years old. And I mean, I love having a son. I mean, we and him both are doing jujitsu and stuff, which if I had a daughter, I said before, before Courtney got pregnant, I told her, I said, boy or girl does not matter by the time they are five or six. Don't give a shit, boy or girl, uh, a tomboy girl or a prissy little boy. It doesn't matter. Either one. They're going to start jujitsu around the five or six range. And it's not yeah. an option at that point. Like It doesn't even matter if they like it. They're going to do it for a few years. And if they mm-hmm. want to continue doing it, great. If they don't, oh well. But they're going to get a base understanding at a young age because I'm not the type of person to raise any type of victim or anything. Mm-hmm. Good thing is he loves it as much as I do. So yeah. it's, it's awesome. Um, but I, it's hard for me to think about like what life would be like with a girl, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look at my, I have a niece. She's, uh, 12, I guess she's, I think she's 12, 11 or 12. And I'm like, when we're over together, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I have a son. I don't have <laughs> yeah. to hear. Like, those are problems that I just don't want to have. But then I can imagine there's things with like my son that you would be like, Holy shit, I'm not excited about that. Yeah. When I when my little man gets yeah. here, you know, that's just part of it. until you have both of them, you don't really know, but whichever one you've got first, you feel like that's the one you're supposed to have. Yeah. That's, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Know? And I, I know if Jax had been a girl, if she'd have been if he'd have been Jacqueline, then uh, you know, I would feel the same way as you do. I'd be right yeah. there with you like, yeah, I love having a little girl, you know. Yeah. So if I'll tell you this, if my wife could guarantee it would be a girl, we would have another one, 100. Yeah. percent But we can't guarantee. Yeah. And so we're, we're like, I, Jackson is the type of kid. I've told him a hundred times that Jacks, I wouldn't take a billion dollars for you, but I damn sure wouldn't give a penny for another one just like you. <laughs> so he, he's that he's that type of kid. He's, I'm already getting gray hairs because of him. But uh, God, uh, that's probably what you're gonna have, dude. I'm you need you need that you need that and you're like keep on your fucking toes dude she's sweet but she is sassy i mean both both my wife and i have a sense of humor and our our daughter is she's sassy and she gets crabby as hell and there's just times where it's like what the hell is your problem kid like i don't understand why you're acting like this and there's there's no logic there she's a woman i mean so you just described every woman in the world so i mean just do the math yeah, I, I, mean, I gotta worry. I gotta worry about getting sniped around my house. I'll be walking through the living room, like ah, I get a Nerf bullet in the face and shit. And he's like at, on the stairway with his little Nerf yeah, sniper I, rifle. He got the new for Christmas. He got the new uh, Nerf Faro bolt okay. action uh, fucking yeah. Nerf gun. That thing smokes, son. That thing yeah. is got some muzzle velocity. <laughs> I mean, that thing hurt. You catch one in the neck, not expecting it, you jump. Like yeah. I ain't scared of shit, but it it does startle me. It you know it's uh it comes in comes in hot, but and then you'll see he'll go yes and he'll go up the stairs and like you're just like you know exfil. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you know I I couldn't imagine you know walking through the house in the middle of the night and stepping on Barbies or yeah. I don't know with I just don't I've never experienced it so I don't know what that's like so but you're gonna get. You're getting best of both worlds, man. So that's uh, congratulations, man. Yeah, thanks. I I know it varies by age too, because it's like there's phases. And when she was like 
you know, they say terrible twos. When she was three, it was just, there were some days where it was just like, what, what are, are we terrible parents? Like, what the hell is happening? Like, we don't know why she's acting out the way she is, but it's like, she's three. It's a phase. But, you know, I, I always joke with my wife. I said, you know, once she turns 13, I'm getting an apartment and I'm going and living by myself until she <laughs> moves out of the house. Cause well, I don't, I'm good with all this stuff. And I'm like, there's a certain point where I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't understand women. And I'm 36. How the hell am I going to understand a 13 year old? I, it's kind of scary. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, you hold a gas soaked rag over their face for a little while and they get <laughs> quiet. Um, but they call it terrible twos. It's not talking about two years old. It's two years. So yeah. from two to four is what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's, that's probably accurate. Jack started his 18 months um, yeah. and he hadn't stopped. So he's five now. But, you know, it's, it's you know, the whole questioning whether, you know, you're, we're good parents. Look, we know exactly what you're saying because mm-hmm. there was uh, about, a, about a month, about a month and a half ago, when however long it was, Jacks, they have a color chart at school, like given their behavior depends on mm-hmm. what color they're on, right? And like red is the very worst, and then yellow is right above that. And then there's green is good, and purple is hey, he was doing great today, and pink is like the best. Pink was, you know, your their your child's a superstar today. Okay. There was a whole week where he was on red and yellow every day. And I, I literally almost pulled the truck over and just fucking choked him. Like <laughs> I almost, I almost did. I almost lost my lost my damn mind on him. And it's always the same shit. It's always not paying attention, not being a listener, doing what he's told, doing just stupid shit. And then literally the next week, he started jiu-jitsu. And literally he was on green. He's been on green and purple every day since. Nice. Like, and I'm like, what is that? I, I pulled, like, like what, two weeks ago, I, I, I was picked him up from school, saw he was on, like, purple or pink and i was like jacks what's i got a question for you what what's changed he said what do you mean i said well you may not know you may or you may not know why are you doing so much better now than you were just a few weeks ago when it was literally like two weeks or back to back he had like a green a green day sprinkled in to two weeks of hell and i'm like what what is different from then and he he literally doesn't know. Yeah. But it it just so happens that it coincided with the same week that you know he's done better this last month than collect you know, it straight than he has his entire time in school. You know, and so it was. I, I don't know if, if I can accredit that to jujitsu or he was just having a bad week. But there was times where we were wondering, like, are we doing something wrong? Yeah. A- am I putting too much pressure on him to do good to where he falls apart when he does a little bit bad that he could recover from. And I, so who knows? I don't know, but everybody's probably it's a, it's a moving target. At- it is. It is. It really is. And you don't know what you're doing. You won't know how you did until they're adults. Yeah. Until they get their first job. You won't know how they did. Yeah. Or how you did as a parent, but anyway, okay. Back to, back to shooting and shit. Sorry guys. I'm just I'm talking to my buddy here. Saying, we, we talk all the time. So I had to, pick into his private life a little bit yeah well, so. well i got one more thing kid really related that yeah, i thought was it. funny i haven't seen the show but my wife was scrolling through netflix or something maybe you or other users know about it but there's some show on tlc it's like 
you know, there's Octomom and John and Kate plus eight. Well, apparently a family has their own reality TV show because the the husband and wife had two daughters. They wanted want to try for one more to get a boy, and they had what's the word for five quin quintuplets? Quin quintuplets, yeah. So they had quintuplet. All five were girls. There was a pair of twins and a pair of triplets in the one litter of kids. So they went from Wait. two to seven, all girls. So do so two of the kids look like each other, but the other three look different from the other two, yes. but the other three look all yes. like each other. That is fucking cr- <laughs> it's crazy to think it's of one five in a kids. bazillion. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just one thing to think about a, a lady pregnant with five kids. That's crazy in and of itself, right? But how that worked out yeah is not I, I do you think they grow up like team three versus team two? I I don't. Know. They're the same age, but they're like, hey, we gotta sit together. We're the ones that split from the same fucking embryo. And like, yeah, well, us three, we're, all, we're you know, we're triple. You know, I don't. How do you? How does that play out? I I don't know. I just saw the. She showed me like the promo shot for the show, and I was like, those parents are smiling, but they're dead inside. Like you can tell, it's just they're outnumbered. They're outnumbered. Dude, I would seven to two. I would literally fucking suck start my fucking Glock if I had fucking seven girls, dude. Fuck it. Well, what's what's his name? Um, Tracy Tracy Morgan, not Tracy Morgan. That's a comedian. Uh, um, Trace Adkins, the country singer. Okay. I listened to him uh, on a radio show a couple few years ago. Not only ten years ago, maybe. And he's got five girls. Okay. And obviously not not in the same dynamic as what you just said about yeah. that show, but he's just got five girls. And the host asked him, he's like, you know, what made you have five girls? He said, trying to have one fucking boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, I finally quit after five, trying to have one boy. So some people just ain't in the cards, man. Genetics yeah. is crazy. Genetics <laughs> are crazy. So tell me how, tell me, tell me how your, uh, season ended this year. No, I know this already, but I'm for the listeners. So how, how did that end up with you? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give a shout out to the club series. I shoot, I live in Wisconsin and we have a husband and wife, Ken and Missy Wheeler. They run our club series. It's W whatever it is, Wisconsin precision rifle steel challenge. It's, it's, it's a mouthful, but it's kind of a grassroots thing, you know, where, Frank talks about all the time, you know, the way to grow the sport isn't these big two-day matches that cost 1500 bucks and three vacation days. It's, you know, every Saturday you go hang out with your buddies and you shoot a match kind of thing. So completely agree. So for the past three years, they they bought the name and and the series from another guy that had run it for a couple of years and, and got burnt out or, or whatever happened. And they took it over and it's it's been fucking awesome. I mean, our Saturday one day club matches draw 120 people with a wait list. I mean, that's yeah. that's how big it is. So there's some serious competition. They have the props they have are insane. I mean, you've got tank traps, barricades, connex boxes, that stuff. They bought a full size school bus. So we shoot out of a school bus at a monthly match for $60. 
they painted on the side of it Department of Wind Corrections. So, I mean, they, they, they got a sense of humor. They bought an old fire truck, so we shoot out of a fire truck. They bought a helicopter chassis, so we shoot out of the frame of a helicopter at a monthly match. Like, it's just... It's insane. It's so much fun. It's and like a carnival of shooting. It, it is. It is. So it's like we. I think the Midwest and the people that shoot there, we we get good. You know, this whole grassroots and training and growing shooters. It's because there's matches where you go and it's like nine out of the the ten are positional stages and it's like I fucking hate this. It sucks. And then when you walk away, you're like I I'm not gonna get that practice anywhere else. So, um, I, I've, I've done pretty well. I've, I've shot that series for as long as it's existed, you know, four or five years. I'm always usually in the, in the top five. So this season I was about the same, but I was able to win the finale match, which was really awesome. I'm kind of the, always the bridesmaid, never a bride, you know, I have a lot of second and third and fourth place finishes at matches, you know one bad stage I'm out by two points or something I, I don't beat myself up like I go to have fun and I'm competitive but it is what it is so it was it was really you know felt really good to win the finale and then I ended up in third on the season which I think I came in third or fourth last year as well so against a hundred people you know it's I, it's it's an accomplishment and I'm really a club one day shooter you know I shoot the two-day match they put on every year, the Wisconsin Barrel Maker Classic, mm-hmm. which is at the same facility. It's a hell, but, of a, hell of a match, too. I, yeah. It is every year. And it's this year, or 2020, was an AG Cup match, so you had all these big dogs come and, and kick ass. And they have, the facility they use has two sides to it. Usually we shoot the short side, which goes out to 800, and then... For that match and one other club match, we shoot the field side of it, which goes out to like 1350, which that's crazy too to me that we have a one-day match where we can shoot to 1350. I mean, this isn't Oklahoma. We don't have a field that goes to infinity. Like, this is all... Yeah, a wind farm. Wood, yeah, it's all wooded and trees and craziness. So I shoot that match, and honestly, like, I need to either shoot more two-day matches or just kind of let them go because I don't I just don't have like a great two-day focus like one day I can be totally dialed in and ready to go but two-day matches like I just kind of get tired out and I'm not used to shooting them so I'm I'm really like a one-day match I'm like a top 10 guy very consistently in two-day matches I'm like a top third I always seem to finish like 33rd out of 100 like shockingly always the same so something's either something's got to change with me or i'm hoping in a couple years when family life is a little less crazy i can get away for maybe three matches a year like that but the club ones are so easy i live an hour away so i can get away for a day yeah what what other than the barrel maker what uh two-day national matches are there in the general vicinity of where you are so the we're part of the precision rifle series so we we have the prs regional series and michigan does a two-day match as well i 
I, I'm not going to say what the name of it is because I can't remember um, what it's called. But but it's the other, in Michigan. Yeah, the other match director, we, we run basically mirrored club series. So we have five or six matches. They have five or six matches. And now we both do the two-day PRS match. I don't believe theirs is an AG Cup, um, but the Wisconsin one is. But the Midwest, we have a lot of stuff further south so like missouri and kansas is huge it's it's a drive for wisconsin but there's the most series and that's huge it's it's another big club series and obviously there's like Derek love in kansas and once you start getting that far yeah. away towards oklahoma I well mean, yeah everyone, everyone knows how big that is region, really i mean that's a, like a whole nother region i mean i know it may not be but i mean from where you are you're just a lot of driving but now we're prs great lakes region so we have we branched off from the midwest i guess and we're i don't want to say something untrue i'm trying to think what is if it's minnesota wisconsin illinois indiana and michigan i think I, i'm that not sure sounds right i'm not sure if i was in there or not but i so was we've, we've got our own region and you know bc before children, I, I probably would have been driving out to Indiana and Ohio and Michigan for one day matches, but now it's it's not in the cards for me to to put that many miles on when there's something as good as there is an hour away from where I live. But I think there's club series is booming all over the Great Lakes, and that's why we're getting our that's own cool. vision. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And you know what? Back to what you said about what what Frank said, I I completely agree. I believe the way to grow the sport is the is the one day regional that sub hundred dollar uh, entry fee. The even if there isn't a prize table, I mean, think about it. if you're talking about growing the sport, the majority of the people that you're gonna have coming in to then say said grow the sport aren't gonna be the ones winning the matches. So <laughs> the prize table isn't that big of a draw to them because well, realistically speaking, how did you shoot your very first match or your second match? The very first match I shot was literally at a dude's farm. It was like everybody well, paid. Well, how did you do? How did I do? I, yeah. I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. It was awesome. You didn't, you didn't fucking win it. I didn't get had cash a, back. You got a fucking, you had a blast though, right? Yeah. 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 It was a great okay. Time. Right. My first match. Well, my first match really sucked because I had that action I had. It was that Bergara B-14 loaner rifle and that I bought to hold me over, and it misfed every stage. That's um, Yeah. I'm, I look, I'm, think, I'm, I'm like finger-banging my chambers, snatching cases out because it was flipping the case case head first down the, okay. down the chamber. So I had to go in there and, like, you know, finger-bang my rifle. But uh, anyway, it um, yeah. But either way, I I didn't finish last by any stretch. But I ate shit, and you're gonna eat shit. There's very few people who go out there and shoot their first match and do you know well in the you know least bit of the sense of the word. Yeah. But I mean, it can happen. But it's so rare. So in growing the sport, you don't have to worry about the prize tables. You bring new people into the sport. Let them get time in, under their belt, and then they're going to be worried about prize tables and stuff. But the way to grow the sport is that cheap entry, lo, low investment entry, fun, spirited, 
low competition, if you want to say, like, I guess low spirit of competition to where they don't feel pressure or, or even some of their first, second, third, fourth match, they don't feel that pressure. Uh, that, that keeps them coming back. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's the way to go. And look, especially when you got like the PRS with this gigantic fucking black eye, they just had over the finale. Uh, then, you know, it, that's, that's not how you fucking grow the sport. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it, I, I think, I think if a lot more uh, places did these outlaw style, if that's what you want to call it, I kind of hate that term, but in the sense it is what it is, non-affiliated matches, uh, it kind of sits, my opinion, it sits to PRS and the NRL and, you know, sends them to their corners. Like, hey, go stand in the corner over there. You know, you don't get to play right now. We're doing our own little thing and people are enjoying it, you know. That way they don't always get a piece of every action that happens across the country because the reason why I believe the PRS and the NRL act like they do is because that's always been the case. They've always, yeah. Oh, this is a, a PRS affiliated series. match. This is an NRL you know, series match. You know, this, th- no, this is a right here series match, whatever this range is, or if we've got a deal worked out with a close a neighboring range, uh, a little competition like we do, with at frontline defense and pig river um you know we're that's that's kind of what we do it's it's one matches at pig river and we go shoot it and then one match at frontline and they come and shoot it you know what i'm saying so it's there we're both north carolina and virginia are kind of a part of the same series and um i'm hoping we get back to get back to that to where it's not about whether people chasing uh regional series points you know, we the last one day that we had, Paul, before the match started, you know, he gave the safety brief, and he said, just by a show of hands, how many people are here today uh, basically here to pick up some some series points? There's like 100 shooters there, and I think like six or seven raised their hand. Yeah. I was like, these people, I told Paul, these people don't fucking care. They want to shoot. They mm-hmm. want to shoot a lot more one days. They don't necessarily care about as much as the two days. I mean, I do. I shoot two days and one days. But, uh, you know, man, this is this is what we need more of this, not more of, you know, the, the, the big $275, $300 entry fees, big orchestration where you only do two a year. No, hold monthly or bi-monthly, you know, one days and everybody's fucking happy. They're going to come shoot it. You know, that's how you grow the sport. That's how you grow your range. That's how you grow your business. In my, yeah. That's just my opinion. I'm not a match director yet, but when you know, we're this year, we're we're holding some fucking matches at at our place here in, in Pactol. Well, here in Greenville, basically. Um, so that, that's gonna be fun. That's that's what it's all gonna be about. I know you've heard the episodes, me and Jeff talking about how we're gonna do it. It's gonna be hey, self ROing, no fuck fuck games. Everybody keep everybody accountable. And then have fun. You, you you may win at first, you know, when the little smaller one days, you may win a case of beer. But you paid 50 bucks to shoot, 40 bucks to shoot. And then you get to go shoot the stages that you fucked up on as much yeah. as you want. And work on it and train. And then now it's a big training day. So we shot the match. Now it's a big conglomerate training day. That's fucking awesome. Where else do you get to do that? You know? Yeah, it's a... It's a- 
bad feeling and we've all been there and I listen to the podcast with you and and Keith Baker and other pros where they're driven to the point where you know I've heard people say I just did bad on a mover and pull out their phone and go I can buy a mover for five grand I'm going to and it's like for most of us you get raped by a stage and you just hang your head you you might write a note on it and you go okay well maybe in a year if i have this maybe same i'll thing. get it next time but i mean even for me i i have the financial means to go buy some four by fours and build a tank trap but i don't i, I shoot a tank trap twice a year and and do my best and i to have the ability to shoot it twice at one match back to back it's like anything you practice if i say okay i'll give you a million dollars if you make this one free throw but you can't practice the odds are pretty likely you're gonna miss but if i say hey practice free throws for an hour now shoot one for a million dollars you're you might make it like it's yeah I, i like that and and a lot of what i see is with our region and i think in your region as well it's all 90 seconds so you get this mad adrenaline dump rush of people who don't have the fundamental ability yet to build their position correctly find the target and in their head go if i only get six shots off i'm good so they i mean it's everybody says the same thing like don't rush make the shots count blah blah but under the clock people just they turn stupid Oh, dude, it 100%. It's like you got a plan, and then you, you can recite the plan 100 times, and as soon as you hear, you're ready, beep, and yeah. everybody goes, duh, <laughs> and they just gonna go complete fucking window liquor on you, and, you know, and they just don't even know where the fuck they're at. And I, I was guilty of that, too, and I've done my best to combat that, you know, with just by I try to time out now. I try to shoot slow. Yeah. So that I that that if I timed out, I did good because I didn't rush and and be stupid, you know. And you know, like you said, you got people who only get to shoot that really at matches, you know. And so it, it's it's I think it's going to be cool. It's going to be real cool to have people um to you know you could shoot never have shot a certain prop before and shoot it at our match and by the end of the day, you can master that thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You just in, in one day, you shoot it in a match, then you go back and shoot it as much as you want. You can be like, man, if I ever see this thing again anywhere else, it's my bitch because I have just, I have just mastered this barricade or this yeah. prop or this whatever, you know? Yeah, one thing I like that I've heard from uh, Jake Vibbert's podcast and I, I'm not a big practicer. I mean, I, I live fairly close to range, but I just I don't practice much. It's not a humble brag or anything. I, I wish I did. But one thing that I really like that he said is if I go out and practice, I practice one thing. Like I'm not going to shoot five rounds off a roof, five rounds off a tank trap, five rounds off a cattle gate. He's like, I will go and shoot 40 completely dedicated rounds off of a rooftop. I'll try this bag, I'll try that bag, I'll try frog, I'll try side saddle, I'll try it strong side, weak side, and at, after an hour, I'll have mastered or, you know, it greatly improved my ability to shoot a rooftop. So when I see it, I have some muscle memory versus what do a lot of people do? Oh, I'm going to go dry fire in the basement, I fiddle fuck around for five minutes, 
off of the PRS barricade with something I feel good at. And then I pull out my phone and, and I'm done practicing. It's like not a focus thing. So I thought way back when, when he talked about that, I was like, that's really cool. You know, if people are really going to practice, get good at one thing and then build off of it. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And that, what you said is what I, I actually am guilty of. I mean, I've got right behind my computer right here. I have my barricade with my rifle sitting on it right now looking at that. And mm-hmm. I've always been where I like if I come up here for anything, if I come up here just to get a tool to like you like I did tonight, I had to get my drill. I, I, I installed some exercise thing in the wall at, for my wife that she uses now. Um and I had to get my drill that was up here because I didn't feel like going to my truck. And I've made a rule. If I come up here, I shoot 10 dry fire shots. If I don't care yeah. what I'm coming up here for, if I turn the light on and step through that door, I'm shooting 10 dry fire shots. I picked, I got the smallest target. Oh, you, you can't see it over there, but there's, it's a one MOA plate on the KYL rack of this thing, right? Okay. I shoot 10 shots off of that two shots each position, mm-hmm. you know, five positions. And then, okay, then I'll get what I need to get. And then I'll leave again, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I step foot, but you know, um, it's, it's not a coming up here with the intent of, okay, I'm going to go do dry fire now. What am I going to work on? And then work on building that position and breaking it, not even shooting, building the position, break it, building it and breaking it. And then just getting that dial. That is, I think, where the key is. And that's yeah. where what Jake was talking about. That's what Keith was talking about. And, I mean, those two guys we just mentioned right there, you know, you know or, or, or John uh, Pinch, you know, those guys, they, they've got, they are as good as they are. Austin, any of them. I mean, even Allison. Yeah. They all are good because they all do good practice. Not just practice, they do good practice, and they do a lot of it. That's why they are better than everyone else, and that's what separates them from the next guy. The, they're the winner that separates them from second place or fifth place or 15th place, you know? So that that's the key, and I need to do better. You talked to me, last, what was it, last night? You're like, dude, you've got 500 yards out your window <laughs> yeah. and i was like dude i know i just i don't have the time like i look at it every day out my window i see that target and i could go out there and bang steel i don't want to blow a bunch of my primers and shit right now yeah. given the great primer shortage of 2020 but uh even so even before that i was i mean i didn't go out there and just uh, there's a lot of people who would if they had this outside their house every day when they get home from work on their lunch break they'd come home and they would shoot some just don't do it. And that's yeah. my fault. Nobody's fault but mine. No excuse. And I, I I need to. I need to utilize what I have. I've got two hundred yards in my backyard at a at paper target and I and, and I've got five hundred and fifty yards off the back deck. But it's it's priority, I guess. You know, and I guess I can't be mad at the results I don't I, that I don't get from the practice that I don't do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that part of the sport the way it is it benefits from one shot then break the position and move practice because there's there's no stage i've ever seen which is climb on the rooftop and shoot 10 shots at one target in one position like it doesn't exist everything now is five positions with two shots at each or 
they get crazy. It could be one shot at 10 positions. So you see the people that are fast, like they don't actually shoot or cycle the bolt faster than you or me, but they can move, get in a position with the target in their scope. Acquire the target. Four seconds faster than me times 10 shots. That's why they get the 10th shot off with one second left and I time out with three rounds left in the mag because that's what they practice and, and that's what they get good at. I mean, they is just a general for freaking everybody that's good. I mean, I am, I'm not fast. That's my weakness is five positions times two each, and I'm usually shooting the last round as the clock goes off or I time out. The guys that beat me by one or two points are like, oh, I didn't time out on a single stage. It's like, pff, they're, they're better than me. They're faster than me. It, it is what it is. Yeah, and, and see, it's them acquiring that target and the efficiency in their movement in between positions is is key. But you can still even, okay, that same guy that you're talking about that didn't time out. You could have not timed out, even though you, even if you didn't change your speed, and you, but you got, or you did change your speed to where you didn't time out, you probably wouldn't have got ten good shots off, right? Yeah. Like, you know, what I'm saying that 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 is, then there's no different. You don't, you just lose more ammo mm-hmm. by by waste more bullets by shooting fast, but they're shitty shots. You know, so that goes to the old saying that you can't miss fast enough for hits. You know, so. Yep. Um, you know, it, that, that is equally important is I'd rather get eight good shots off and maybe get eight hits, seven hits rather than get 10 shots off and only four of them be good, Mm -hmm. you know, but now I'm just out that bullet, that powder, that primer and, and another fire on that piece of brass. I've yeah. still walked away with a shit score, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's exactly why I've tried to slow myself down because i do move and shoot fast but i could shoot slower and better you know mm-hmm. and so it's just there's a finding that happy medium of hey don't fuck around but then again don't rush yourself there's a happy medium in there somewhere that you've got to find yeah um and uh I, I can say I have done I've done a lot better of that here recently this last last half of the year because I've kept it a conscious effort before they asked me if shooter's ready. That's what is going through my head. Slow. Just go slow. Yeah. If you time out, fuck it. Yeah. I, I don't even care about timeout because I rarely ever do. If I do it's because something went wrong. Like I fiddle fuck with my bipod. I mean that happened to me in the last match. Only I only timed out on one stage, but it was because I was shooting at a point where I was underneath a spool that was laying this way and it was so low, the target was elevated. I could not see the target. My bipod yeah. was too high and I had to like reach up and roll it to front and drop both legs and then get back down and shoot and then move. And then it had to raise it up for the next one. That was the only reason why I timed out. I missed the last two shots, which were prone on my belly under, you know, just a normal prone shot. And, uh, um, you know, that bit me, but, any other time I don't time out because you know, I it's that I'm fighting that move fast, move fast, move fast, shoot fast, shoot fast, you know, and it, it, it'll, it'll bite you every time it really will until you get to that point to where you have dialed in everything else in between and before the shot that, that is where you, 
that is where you make up your time, not from pulling the trigger and running the bolt. You mm-hmm. make that time in movement and acquiring, building that position right the first time. Instead, oh, let me move my bag, straighten it up up here, or oh, it's not high enough, I need to fluff it up to get it more elevation. No, put it down one time. Rifles on it, it's perfect. They're right there in the targets in your um, uh, picture, and pull the trigger. You know, that that's where that time is made up to where you can do both. You can be fast and you can shoot accurately. Yeah. You know? I think one of the funniest things is seeing people yank their last shot and ruin a clean run and then have like 13 seconds left. Yeah. I've, I've done, I've <laughs> your, done. your head is going and your internal clock alarm bells are going off. Then you're just like you see the the person go, fuck. And they're like, yeah, you had 12 seconds left and just hang your head. Because, I mean, yeah, unless you've got the shot clock timer thing attached to your gun, it's 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 up to everybody to kind of train that internal clock. But yeah, when well, in, in your panic mode, it's hard. Yeah, nobody's internal clock is perfect. It's never right. I mean, it, might, it could be close, but it's never right. Uh, example of that, I hate to say it because I know he's listening to this, and I'm sorry, I love you, brother, Mike Burns. Mike Burns did that at our last match. He would have, it cost him the match. He was, he would have won the match. Uh, Me and Jeff, me and Jeff talked about it on, uh, me and my, his last podcast. He was on the last stage of the day. Him and him and, um, uh, Jonathan were, Jonathan Roberts were tied and he had to hit that last shot to then tie John because he dropped one, which put him one down he if he hit the very last shot he fucking yanked it. He said I, I yanked the trigger so hard I moved the rifle. Yeah. And he had time. But and they would have tied, but he beat him on the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. In time. They tied, they both cleaned it, but he beat him in time, so he would have then won the match. He got a second by one shot. So that you know that one time will will separate that you know if you're at the bottom it, it doesn't really matter but when you're you know in that realm of performance every fucking time you pull the booger hook back it matters yeah and and so um the, yeah exactly yeah is that you got i've got video of me doing it at woody's at a uh, um a guardian match about three or four years ago um three years ago and uh oh dude it was I had, I dude, I had so much time. Like I had, like it was an, it was a actually a two minute stage. The only match I think I've ever shot that was two minutes. And I just recently was reminded that that was a two minute match okay. instead of ninety seconds. And it was a prone stage out of the out of the kill house. What's called a kill house? It's a big barn. You're shooting out of the loft, and it's just all long range, right? And I pulled the last shot, and I was just boom, 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 boom pulled the last shot, and I had like. 60 seconds left. <laughs> 60. Six zero out of two minutes. You could have walked off taking a piss, come back, and still shot. Dude, I could have I could have flocked a dolphin and rubbed my dick out and <laughs> then gone and, and then got a last shot off. But um yeah, it that'll do it. And that's what's like you said, that's what separates the Viberts, the pinches, the bake the Keith Bakers. Uh, that's what that's what separates them from, you know, us and that ability to do that and still shoot, shoot slow, move fast, shoot deliberately, you know, with everything conscious in mind 
and not time out. Yeah, I've I've always thought one of my strengths was just pulling the trigger. I mean, for for whatever it's worth, the the first three years I shot, I had the factory AI trigger, so that it definitely made it hard on positional stuff to have a three and a half pound trigger. And when I got the comp trigger, it helped a lot. I mean, my prone game was the same, but positional was was a lot easier with a like I shoot like a pound and a quarter total weight right now but at the end of a match i i like to think back at my trigger pulls and there i definitely miss it's not like i don't miss sometimes it's wind sometimes it's wobble you know sometimes it's just mirage or whatever the environmentals are but i like to think did i have a bad trigger pull and usually at a club match i don't or i'll have one and it that burns me like we had one one stage where we had a mover and it's like I had one pull on the mover where I broke the shot like a half mil early and in my head I'm just like that was you know almost like an ND to me it's like I shot when I didn't want to and that was one out of a hundred times I pulled the trigger and I was like that to me that was just no good so I really focus a lot on good trigger presses and if I miss because of wind or something else whatever but even way back i remember my first two-day match at k&m i finished top third i was like 60th out of 200 people and i was like in two days i did not have a single bad trigger pull i missed like 50 targets or 80 targets but they were all what i wanted to do so i think that's important maybe it's because i shoot a two-stage and it's heavier i've never i don't have a five ounce or eight ounce trigger where you can breathe wrong and it go off. So maybe that's part of just my training scars. That's a good scar, but I, I, I've never, I've never been like I, I watch guys. There's really good shooters I see in videos, and they're just slap, slap, slap. They're going Tap. so fast. His fingers come off like like that, you know. And and that's a debate, right? I mean, it's a whole nother conversation of is shooter a b c or d that shoots a 95 percent but has terrible trigger pull or holds their breath are they a good shooter is somebody that shoots 70 percent but is fundamentally sound a good shooter at it's it's open for interpretation but sometimes you see guys that are good and they're not doing the right thing to make impacts right well, that goes back to free recoil, right? I mean, they, you can have that that's, in the, same, it, the yeah. same time, the same concept, and same topic. It's uh, they're getting away with it because the, with both with both of those things, with uh, free recoil and uh, like a shit trigger pull, with the rifles we're running now and the calibers we're running, you can get away with it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And does it? benefit you in that specific situation to just bounce your finger off that trigger and it go off well yes i guess is less influence on the rifle um and with the rifle being so heavy as they are nowadays and with the, as far as low recoil between the calibers the bullets you know weights and uh and muzzle brake technology uh that's you're able to do that and get away with it i mean mm-hmm. uh and the same thing with free recoil 
No, no one that does the true re free, uh, free recoil where they're like got this shit hanging off yeah. their shoulder and they're pinching it. Yeah. Do that with a do that with a fourteen pound or a thirteen pound three oh eight. Yeah. Holler at me then. Um, but they're not shooting those three oh eight. So what they're doing, I mean, you're not probably still not be able to see where your bullet went. But if you had a good wind call and your dope is right, then you know you get away with it. You know. Yeah. Gives less influence on the rifle. So, um, but the the difference to me is my answer to your to your question, your conundrum is they are a better shooter at that game. Yeah. Are they a better all around shooter? Maybe, maybe they can still do those fundamental things if they want to, but they've realized that they can get away, get this advantage by doing it the bad way or the, the incorrect way. And so they do it. Um, maybe the risk that, you know, the, the reward outweighs the risk, but you know, if they, if they've only learned that way, they got, you know, X level of success with it. Once you change one variable of like, okay, now this is an animal and you know, you've got gloves on and mm-hmm. it's, you know, 10 degrees outside and he's 700 yards away, and you're shooting a 28 Nosler. Yeah. Now try that shit. Yeah. Now, the guy that may have gotten a seven instead of a clean on a stage because he was doing it fundamentally right and maybe influenced the rifle a little bit on this fucking weird-ass rope swing, you know, monkey <laughs> barricade, uh, you know, he might have got a seven, but he'll make that shot with that 28 Nosler on that yeah. animal. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's the way you have to phrase your question. You know, so another thing I want to ask, which I've talked to some friends about and I've been thinking about it a lot since all the production class drama. (laughs) And and, and we don't need to get into that because it's been talked about a lot. (laughs) I would if you wanted to. But but what I want to talk about is beyond classes. Everyone's talking about what classes you want open. Do you want to class it by weight or by caliber or, you know, this arbitrary production thing? So my thought is, rather than doing classes, I kind of think that MDs need to start putting stage design into the forefront to make various shooters and rifles pay. So what I mean by that is, like, right now, I'll pose this question, you can debate me, there's absolutely no disadvantage whatsoever to a 25-pound six-dasher with a muzzle brake. Period. It in any match you've shot. Not not in 2020, 2019, 2018. No, 2012. So, yes, there is. And so where I'm going with that is, like I think <clears throat> there's heavy guns and light guns. There's a brake or a suppressor, and there's six mil and six five. Let's just say there's those six variables. Well. If you're shooting a 6.5 Creed RPR that weighs 15 pounds with a suppressor, you're disadvantaged with literally every stage. Now, you could argue, well, you, you should pick what works best. For me, I shoot a suppressor. So I shoot, at a monthly match, I shoot a cattle gate, a Connex box. I shoot out of this doghouse that's totally cramped. And I'm at a disadvantage. I have to pull the thing out farther. It's awkward. If you have a break, it, it's better for you. Now, do we ever shoot out of an enclosed space? 
never. So you never have to pay for having a break. Period. We do here. We've got big uh, concrete pipes that we shoot. And I will tell you from experience shooting with a break uh, that you get like concrete dust blowing back in your face. It's like a little like a funnel of yeah. air coming straight back at you. But that's one stage at one location. Yeah. So, I mean, that's see, not that's, really a data, data point. I mean, I think that's good. I think, well, if 95% of people shoot with a brake, you should have to shoot with your head and brake inside of a tube and get a headache. Or you should lay a bunch of silt down and you have to shoot and kick up a bunch of dust in your face. It, it's just yeah. an example. But So then talk about the weight. Okay, you shoot a 25-pound dasher, I shoot a 15-pound RPR. What advantage do i have like none whatsoever because we don't have any stages where we have to pick up the gun and run with it because it's not safe it takes too much space it takes too much time and it's like we've gotten away from the practical aspect and everything is funneled towards one thing and i just wish and i'm not talking badly of my match director i just wish in general mds would have more of of guidance from leadership to say hey let's these top 20 guys i'll shoot the exact same fucking gun make them pay make them if you're out of shape you got to run 100 yards with your gun not yeah. up and do it you've got to shoot out of, out of a that's tube and really, get a headache yeah that's only the really really it's really the only way you can i don't want to say the word punish but that's the only way you can even the playing field is movement with, with as far as the weight aspect goes is mm-hmm. movement. Yeah. I mean, throw the movement in there. Hey, the starting cone is X amount of yards or feet or whatever from, from the actual firing position. And another problem is, is really real estate, a, a, a range, whatever range. Like I'm going to tell you right now at our range, in fact, told us it's a, uh, we don't have literally the real estate to make that kind of movement, mm-hmm. you know? So what, we, you know, what we are, I guess we're, what we have to do is we have to make up for it, not so much for the weight thing to what we're talking about, but you know, where we lack in space and, and rain distance for the targets is we've got some really tough spots to shoot in, you know? We've, yeah. um, we've, we've, we, we make it these, these, that 600 yard target is going to, you know, feel like a 1500 yard target when you're shooting off of the shit we've got to shoot off of. Yeah. Um, just because, well, that's what we, what we have to do to make the match interesting simply because we don't have this great big, like you see out in, in out West where this it's vast, like you said, open plains where, you could make somebody run a hundred yards. We don't have a hundred yards in, in at a stage to run to. Yeah. You know? So that that's another aspect, and that's we're not the only ones. Obviously, there's you know I'd say more ranges are probably in that boat rather than the than the um, alternative. But um, I mean, yeah, I think I think there should be. I don't think there should be a production class. I I don't even think there should be a women's class. Because this is one of those sports that 
there's really no disadvantage of being a woman or being a woman over being a man. There's no real yeah. disadvantage other than maybe a barricade height or something like that. Yeah. But that's still that's still not taken into account for, you know, as far as the class goes. But I think it should be because, I mean, the perfect example of that is Allison. She's a short 15 year old girl. And she goes out there and she fucking embarrasses all of us. Mm-hmm. She goes out there and she literally butt fucks us all. And she, what excuse do you got? She's a 15 year old girl. Yeah. You've been shooting long, you know, you've been shooting since she was shitting green. You know what I'm saying? And yet she comes out here and spanks us all. Well, she practices. She's, she's a good shooter. She's a good, doesn't matter about she being a she, she's a good shooter. I think there should be an open class and a limited class. Yeah. Limit then then you make the rules for limited. You can limit them how you want to. People can fall into that category. And if you know, if, if it's not a lot of participation, well, then that means the few people who do decide to participate it have greater chances of taking a trophy home. But I think you'd get that. You know, a it's got to be, you know. X weight rifle. It's got to be. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You can do all different aspects, whatever you want to look at. But a limited class. I mean, yeah, they even got that. They've got that in bench rest. Um, yeah. They even their it open seems class. Like every rifle sport has yeah. it. Like Frank has said. I mean, F class, bench rest, even like Palma. You, I think there's a weight. That's what the Palma contour is for. So you could have a. 30-inch barrel that met weight. So how come precision rifle is apparently against it? Maybe, maybe it's in talk, but and I I really think it is. It, it comes down to if if the league isn't going to make restrictions, then it's up to an MD to make individual stages play to different strengths and, and weaknesses. But maybe what would be better is just to say. Yes, there's open, but hey, now open is 24.0 pounds, and then limited is X, Y, Z. Maybe there's a weight, maybe there isn't, but at least there's something. And the whole argument of, well, you can't test trigger pulls or you can't test weights, it's like, yeah, you can. You have to sign in and get a matchbook anyway. There's no reason why you couldn't have a scale. Dude, it's all you need to do. It's all you need to do. You need to go... To your local Cabela's Bass Pro and get a fishing weight scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fish fish scale. Hang it by the trigger guard or the, cha- the butt stock or whatever. There's an open loop. Put the hook in it and hang it. All right. You're good to go. Boom. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's it. It takes five seconds per shooter to do. Yeah. You know? And, and, and hell, you said 24. I know you just threw a, 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 a number out there, but man, my rifle is like 21. And to me, I mean, I guess you can call me what you want, but 21 pounds, that fucker feels like an absolute pig. Yeah. I can't sure. imagine having 24, 25 pounds. Some of the weight of some of these rifles, like I don't even want to, even if there was added benefit, I don't want to lug the fucker around. No, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm six foot. I'm I'm kind of stocky. I'm not in great shape right now, but I'm the I'm the same way. So my AI with uh, internal weight and two MDT weights on the outside, which to be honest is for balance more than anything. 
Yeah. It was like right at 22 pounds. That's with a 24 inch MTU. And it's like 22 pounds. There's, I'm carrying it around. I'm like, this kind of blows. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, and I shoot suppressed. So if I added five pounds to it, it would be better for me. But what I did for this year is I got a custom contour from Bartland. So instead of an MTU, which is 930 at the muzzle, I got it as an inch at the muzzle. And then I'm going to remove the two external weights. So in the end, with my new, production chassis i'm gonna be a pound less than last year and it'll balance the same or better so i'll be at 21 pounds with the balance that i want rather than just going fuck it i'm gonna add weight to it because i don't want to carry it around yeah dude look you know you just touched on something that me and jeff talked about in our last podcast or maybe it was a time before that i can't remember but uh cl's rifle um he his rifle was i think it was 23 and some change i can't remember what it was 23 24 it was, it was a heavy motherfucker is what it was yeah. it was heavy as shit and he struggled you know fighting the once it was on the bag he was still fighting the rifle running it with his hand on his scope and he could never really get the hang of the positional stuff and you know cl kind of had this I mean, I almost, he almost had like a, de, a defeatist attitude about it. He's like, man, I just, I, if I can get these damn positional shit knocked down, then I can, I can actually do something. And so he ended up taking weight off the rifle and then adding weight to certain parts, like certain parts of the forend, and then, mm. uh, then you know had to be able to put. He got the external weights to put on the on. He took like internal out and put external on and had a place to rust his thumbs where he could run it down the side of the chassis. And the, the rifle ended up lighter than it was. Yeah. And dude, it was like a light switch turned on. Like yeah, CL exactly. started literally raping barricades. Like it was like, he was a whole new shooter. I mean, it was, you know, other than prone, he was a whole new shooter and it was, it was fun to watch. I mean, CL, the last his last two matches he's shot the two matches of his career and that was the two matches after he made the change to the to on his chassis and it made all the difference in the world uh, it's it's balance is more uh, no pun intended balance outweighs weight yeah it, it trumps weight and that is where your stabilities will come in you can have a 25 pound rifle and it balance like shit and it's going to shoot like shit on a barricade yeah. People don't realize that it ain't just heavy for recoil or heavy for this. No, it's it needs to be weighted properly, not just weighted. You know, yeah. they're not. It's not the same. So um, that that's important. And I'm thinking about t- taking some weights off. I mean, I, I, mine's balanced really well, but it's still heavy. You know, mm-hmm. I'd like to have it balanced well and a little bit lighter. Um, and uh, you know, that's that's something I'm going to be working on this year um, because it. Even like me, but CL's a big dude. CL's the strongest, one of the strongest people I know. He's a fucking Clydesdale of a workhorse. He can pick up anything. So he can tote that 24 pound, 23 pound rifle like I would a 17 pound rifle. Mm-hmm. But I ain't that big. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So that 21 pound rifle to me is heavier than shit. So, you know, it, it is what it is. You, know, you got to find what works for you and you got to, you got to play with it. You got to play with it and, and see what, 
be able to basically have data over multiple different, you know, stages of, Hey, this weight, but in this configuration works best for me instead of this weight with this configuration, you know, one may be heavier, one may be lighter. I don't don't know. And it's all on the shooter. Yeah. I think weight is really important. And I think that your individual taste matters, but when you figure out your balance point, it's really easy. You know, you find the edge of a chair or a, a two by four or something like that. And if you take your rifle as it is with a magazine and a couple rounds in it, or however your match load is, and you position it so it balances right on that point, what I personally like is between three and four inches in front of the magwell. And the reason is, I like to use a schmedium on barricades, and that's it's an eight-inch long bag. So if my balance point is between three and four inches, I'm right at the middle. The center the fo- point of the, the bag. The center of the bag. And prior to that, you know, with my factory AI, the thing didn't balance at all, and it didn't have that flat section going to the magwell. So I literally put the gun completely on top of the bag, magazine and all, because the balance point was like, at the breech face of the action it wasn't four inches in front of it so my balance point was like right where my scope was and it it was like a teeter-totter so it it really didn't work well because the balance point was so far back but i think what my guess is what a lot of people have is a gun that's still really rear heavy where they still have the balance point an inch in front of the magwell And when you put it on the bag, if you let it go, even if it stays there, it might want to tip backwards. And that's where you have to put a lot of downward pressure on the scope or on the forend. And I think you just fight it more than you need to. So one weight all the way out in front on your chassis would do you way more good than a bunch of weights right at the magwell right because it's yeah absolutely it's it's a moment i mean talking like an engineer it's you have your mass times distance so if you put one pound two feet away it's better than one pound an inch away in terms of moving the balance point so what i like to do and it, it maybe other people do this but i take bullets and i put them in a ziploc bag with a string on them so you know what the weight is right 140 grain eld there's 7,000 grains in a pound so you can easily figure out an mdt set of weights is what is it 0.78 pounds so do the math so do the math you need 100 bullets you put 100 bullets in a ziploc bag it weighs the same amount as your mdt weight and fucking put it on your chassis and move it until you get it there you don't have to go buy a bunch of weights you can figure it out for free and that's what i did with mine i figured out exactly where to put them i need one weight all the way out or one slot in then i buy one weight and it works i don't need to buy five weights for three hundred dollars to make the thing weigh 25 pounds well not only that but buy five weights and they only end up using two of them yeah yeah so it's if, it's if you're gonna have weight distributed, which you need to have it balanced, like we said. But if you're gonna have weight, more weight on one end of the rifle than the other, then it should be on the barrel side because 
you can put when you imagine putting your rifle on a standing in a standing position on a barricade. I would rather have my muzzle dipping low and then my face, my cheek pressure. That's got to be there anyway. I've got to get behind my scope. So that pressure is ever how light or heavy it may be. It's going to be there. I'd rather have my muzzle down and then I bring the muzzle up with my face instead of me forcing it up or down with my hand. Because like I said, my face is going to be there and then bring it up. Now, mind you, I, that's if you're going to have it one way or the other and not balanced, but I'd rather it be put on the bag. The fucker stays where it's supposed to go because it is balanced. But if, if you're going to have one way or the other, it's better to have it muzzle weighted rather than buttstock weighted, right? Because then, like you said, you're then picking up the rifle with your shoulder to get it that elevation, you know, right before you pull the trigger. So, and then that's always going to be a more unsteady shot than it would be the other way around, or even more so with a well balanced rifle. I mean, I think I think some of that's personal preference. If you're talking about an inch in front or behind of where your bag is, I think it is personal preference. If you're talking about, you know, like right at the mag while and the gun falls backwards, yeah, I agree. You definitely, if you pick your gun up right in front of your mag while, you want it to feel like you're holding onto a barbell, like it's perfectly balanced. That's yeah, kind of what what you want. But to your point. I think that is personal because, like, if you shoot a chassis or something, like, I like to have my – I'm taller, I have longer arms, so I like to have my support hand providing some pressure because, for me, if I put too much cheek pressure, I get pulse. So that's something I struggle with. If I get positional or if my cheek piece is too high, just for whatever reason, I will get pulse in the reticle if I have too much cheek pressure. So – if I had my choice, I'd rather shoot without a cheek piece than have something where I needed to drive my cheek into every shot. Because for me, I, there's times where I'm perfectly solid, but my reticle's bouncing a mill up and down, and all I have to do is lift my head up a little bit, and it goes away. Maybe yeah. that's maybe well, that's that, bad well, technique that's be, on my part. Well, no, it's not. But that's the reason, reason why, though, is because your rifle, whatever one that may be, even if it was the AX in the old chassis, it wasn't that f- far off. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't yeah. that far off. But when you go and throw it on a barricade, the rifle on a barricade, and like off of the gun, and the gun wants to go backwards yeah. that way, that that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Basically, something like, a factory rifle or like you said like an rpr or something like that i don't want a low an ass load of weight in the rear because then i'm always picking up the rear of that that rifle right yeah, exactly uh, but you, yours wasn't perfectly balanced you got that with the new chassis because you have that ability now but the ax wasn't as off as what i'm referring to so yeah. i mean my, my at wasn't even my fucking bone stock at wasn't that far off yeah. It was off. It's not where I have it now. Um, but um, like as far as the bounce point, obviously, but it's it, it wasn't that far. But there are rifles that do have some, like, especially like hunting rifles, a lot of hunting rifles, a lot of yeah. rear lightweight barrels, heavy stocks or something like that. And you've got something, a lot of weight going down in the back instead of a little bit going down the front to where you're basically just putting enough pressure where 
just evening out. Where if you threw it on a barricade, it's not gonna flip over from the front either. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not good either. Um, but it's it's you know when you want to excel in this game, dude, the people that are winning it or not even just winning it, but are, are constantly doing well. They've got all this shit figured out, and they're oh, yeah. they're doing it. They're doing it. So you better, or if you if you want to compete, if you just want to have fun, then who gives a shit what they do? But if you want to, if you're if you're getting in this because you want to really actually compete with the other competitors, you, you know you've got to you got to get your poop in, your poop in a group because everyone else has, and they've got it all figured out, and you're starting before the day starts at a disadvantage. Yeah, and I think just like you said with your friend, you could have a 24 pound rifle or a 14 pound rifle that balances like crap and you're fighting it and you might not even know it because yeah. you, he, you he don't, didn't. He didn't you don't know. know what you don't know. Yeah. He it's, didn't know he was fighting it until he fixed it. And he's like, Holy shit, this feels completely different, you know, yeah. but he didn't experience that and know that until he started playing with it. And that's what told him. He's like, Oh my God, this is what I basically kind of like, this is what I've been missing. This whole time, like this would be much easier. And then, then he goes out there and and fucks my ass up, and uh, you know, and does shoots his best two finishes of his you know match career. And it's I I I 100%. I mean, he shot good. Period. I mean, but I believe that was a the greatest difference between then and the match before that where he you know maybe not have done as well as he, he could have you know it was it was definitely a big difference yeah for sure um so what else you got homie well i mean to kind of circle back to the chassis stuff um I mean, just to let people know, I, I've got I've got a, another list going that I'm just calling a pre-order. I've got another. It's about 25 people that have emailed me or reached out, said they were interested. And what I've kind of told them is, you know, gotten their color for their chassis that they want, and just said, hey, are are you willing to put a deposit down if if this happens? And most of them said, yeah. So right now, it's it's not. So I don't have dates set in it's stone. An, it's an inquiry right now. Well, no, it's it's more than that. I mean, it, it oh, is happening. Oh, good. It's, it's happening. So, I mean, talking to Christian, he's it's, it's a go. He's bought material, and he's allocating machine time. He wants to know how many to send. So, basically, he said mid-January to machine them. How long it's going to take to import, I'm not really sure, but... The the person we're working with, um, his name's Rick. So he's at GCP Rifle Company in Florida. So this dude is he he's another guy that kind of does it all. So he's like a gunsmith. Um, he does importing. So he's importing the Vision chassis for Christian into the United States. So other than the AI chassis, he's going to be importing his own chassis for sale here. And uh, Rick, he, he he spins up barrels, does all that. He runs matches. I'm not familiar with this place, but uh, he runs matches at JTAC Ranch in Florida. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, cause you're, I haven't. Not you're down south. So he runs matches there. You know, he's a shooter. He shoots PRS. So, so he knows the deal, and he likes these products too. So 
we're all working together and how it's going to look. I'm not exactly sure uh, what I'd kind of like to see is 25 people or however many say, Hey, I want one. So Christian's going to make a bunch and then you're going to be able to go onto a uh, gcprifleco.com and buy one. You're not going to have to go through me and do PayPal or whatever that shit. It's going to be like legit. I'm going to make sure everything's good. Parts kits, epoxy, all that stuff that I provided with the chassis already. But my hope is it's going to be pretty seamless. You know, Norway mm-hmm. to here, here to your house. You, you know, pull up a credit card and order from their website. So that's the hope. We don't have it all completely dialed in yet. Like I said, I'm hoping to continue to share information on Sniper's Hide. But what I want, if anyone's interested, I'll, I'll give the Instagram stuff. I have it written down so I don't forget. So the Vision products, like seriously, everybody check out their chassis. They're badass. They're really cool. So it's thevisionproducts.com. And then on Facebook, it's the Vision Chassis. It's a slightly different name. I don't know why. And then Instagram is the Vision Product. So the dude has awesome photography and really cool stuff on my chassis and everything. So if you go look him up and follow him on Instagram or whatever, you'll you'll have information probably before I give it out anyway. And then if you go to the uh, gcprifleco.com, they have like a phone number you can call to get more information or pre-order one of the vision products chassis. And like I said, that's probably where the AI chassis will be sold as well. So, I mean, it's, it's really coming together and I'm, I'm really happy. Like I said, it's, it's a partnership. It's not, it's not me going, Hey, make this, I'm better than you. It's like, it's been collaborative. And, and I think, this could be the start of a partnership for other products and things like that. Cause like I said, Christian's a smart guy and he's making cool stuff. It just so happened that we kind of got together right as he's trying to introduce the stuff that is already being used in Norway. He's bringing it here. So yeah. he's not, he's not some nobody over there. It's just, I don't think people know who he is here and, well, you know, how many people really awesome. here know who the hell is doing shit over there anyway? And you know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, the United States is the, for now, the mecca of firearms and everything. So, yeah, someone in Norway may know who, you know, LRI is or, or GA Precision, but none of us here knows any of the gunsmiths over there because, no. well, why would we? So. Yeah. He might be the the LRI of Europe, you know what I'm saying, and yeah. we just don't know it, you know. So yeah. that he's not some you know asshole in his basement doing some Jerry rig shit. No, he's got his he's got his stuff squared away. And um, I've seen pictures uh, of of him. I follow him on Instagram and stuff because I mean, obviously, I'm invested into this chassis too, and I love yeah. seeing it grow. And he's got a cool little logo at the bottom of it in the Magwell. Yeah. I think I think it looks really dope. But uh, man, it, it it the just the photos he does with the chassis look fucking sick. I know. Now he's like, I'm like, Sam, you just step your fucking photo game up, your <laughs> photography know. game, dude. I know it's weak. The photo, mine too, dude. But I, hey, look, no picture have I ever posted on Instagram for the for the podcast has you know not been taken with a cell phone. Yeah. Now, you know, this this is running like a, probably a three thousand dollar SLR camera. I know. And doing these like lighting and pro- you know, this just gangster dude. It looks really good. 
you know, it makes you proud to like own one. Like, dude, that picture looks so badass. I've got one of those. You know what I'm saying? That's that's really cool. Um, and I, dude, I'm so excited this is working out. You know, I, I told you from Jump Street before I even received my chassis from you, I was like, dude, this shit's gonna sell like hotcakes. And you know, then when you built a relationship, what was it, over a year and some ago, and you know, we talk all the time. And you know, I'm yeah, you were, I, I was, like I said, I was the devil on your shoulder saying like, fucking do it, fucking yeah. do it, you know, because it'll, it'll happen. The market will provide. There's enough people shooting definitely worldwide, but now that you've got someone making them over there, you know, you've got chassis in hands of people all over the world now, you know, and, and, and it's, it's just getting started really. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool. And I, I know there's enough shooters here too, to support that. And I mean, here, just that quick, you got 25 more orders and it's, uh, that's just now you're going to be getting more. So it's, it's really cool. And I'm proud of what you've done. I'm proud to, to, to help be a part of it as much as I can. I mean, I get questions all the time. Like, Hey man, is Sam going to, is Sam going to make any more of this chassis? Man, look, you need to talk to him. I said, hit, hit Sam up. I don't know what he's got going on as far as future dates. I'd like to think he is going to make some more, um, those all sold and every there's, I've never seen a single comment from all the shooters. I've gotten them now on snipers hide. I have not seen one thing like, Oh, well, I wish it was like this. It's great, but I wish it was this. No, nothing. It's been, Oh my God. The yeah. fucking difference is amazing. And so that, that's all it's been. So I, I that's why I, I knew from day one that you were going to, you're going to do something big and do something good with this. And it was going to work out and you, know, you weren't going to, you know, lose your ass on your investment and all that stuff. And I, I, I knew it was going to work out because it's the product speaks for itself. Very rarely have good products not worked out. Yeah. Right. There's been a whole bunch of shitty ones, <laughs> Yeah. a whole bunch yeah, of shitty true. ones didn't work out, but there's never, you rarely ever be like, Oh, this is the one thing that like Tom forgot. It just didn't work out. No, somebody took it and ran with it. And they fucking crushed with it. They did it very well from one thing to the next in throughout any sector of life, whatever gadget, gizmo, equipment, tool, gun, it's everything, car, car part. It's they, they, things that are good, rarely, if ever, you know, not work out. They always do work out and they do sell. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that, and I know that you've liked the product and given me feedback and stuff like that, and and it's all good. I'm I'm glad to see where things are now and where they're going, and I mean, I've told Christian and everybody else I've ever worked with, it's it's not. I know this isn't a get rich quick or million dollar scheme. Like I really want to grow organically and build a customer base, I mean, customer support and customer happiness It is really is important to me. Even if there's only 40 chassis out there, if one guy called me up and said, dude, like this really sucks. I don't like this. I, that would mean a lot to me for somebody yeah. to say that. And I mean, I, I, that stuff does matter to me. And sure. with, with the vision products, I, I don't know if I told Christian this when I talked to him, but a year, I don't know how long it's been out, a year or a year and a half ago or somewhere I saw a picture of his chassis, like on social media or something. I was like, 
like fuck that thing looks amazing like what what is this and i looked it up and i'm like oh it's in norway shit and i was like man it, it just looks so cool i just thought yeah. it has it has all these really cool features i thought it looked different it didn't look like an acc it had the same similar features but just didn't look like anything else and i kind of forgot about it and one day i was like i wanted to find it again i couldn't find it for the life of me and you know, shortly after that, that guy from Norway reached out and said, oh, my friend has this company, you know, check him out. Maybe you can work together. And I go to his website. I'm like, holy fuck, it's this guy. Is this the one? Is this that is guy? this guy. Yeah. So it's like it's it's really cool. All that stuff works out. And I mean, I'm I'm wanting to work with him and hopefully I can get one of his chassis in hand when they come over here and and you know play around with it and give people feedback i'm not here shilling for the guy because i don't have one i mean maybe the chassis sucks i I don't know but it looks awesome and a lot of people are using it and happy with it in norway so like i'm excited it's not gonna suck dude it's based off of something that we know works you know what i'm saying we it's based off it's and honestly i didn't even realize until tonight you tell me this i didn't realize that there was a difference in in what I, well what the final production um you know model is in his other than like the logo maybe like some edges he did maybe different but i didn't realize there was actually a difference in the in the chassis yeah it's it's like i said it's mostly cosmetic like he has his own style for the front of the mag well and then the m-lock slots are shifted up slightly on the side of the end. so he has his own foreign weight, but it uses M-Lock. So you could use right. like an, M- an MDT or a gray ops plate or sorry, gray ops weights on the side too. So, I mean, he's got all that stuff for him. So like I said, when we first started talking, it's like it, it just made more sense for his tooling, programming, all that to integrate with his design. And like him and I talked, I said, it's, it's not about, me having exactly what i came into this it's a collaboration like let's make it part of your infrastructure and and go from there it's still gonna have all the tolerances and features that i designed into it it looks a little different who cares i mean i think it looks really cool yeah i think i think the one i designed looks really cool too it and there's 40 people myself included that have that version too yeah it's i mean i think you knocked out the part dude I mean, there ain't really nothing to say about it. Anybody who's got an AI then chooses his chassis, I've never heard anybody like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good to go. I mean, I mean, I had people shoot my rifle at that at that uh, class that I did with uh, Frank and Mark, mm-hmm. and they were like, they were like, holy shit, yeah, this is a fucking difference. I mean, they've got an AI sitting over there, theirs, and they're like, holy shit, yeah, yeah this feels like not an AI. I mean, as far as this. As far as that aspect goes, you know, other than the action, you know, and, and the buttstock. But it's um, it's crazy. What would be really cool, Samuel, if you designed a buttstock to go along with it that isn't $900 <laughs> from AI, from the AX buttstock. Like something that, like, you get the same features but maybe look a little bit different or or somewhere that still goes on and mounts just like the AX buttstock, but it's not $900. That it's, would be kick ass. 
It's possible, and might I add, at Euro Optic, it's nine hundred and fifty dollars now, Ooh. not nine hundred. <laughs> that comp, that comp uh, trigger ain't three hundred no more either. <laughs> it's five hundred dollars now. It's insane. I, I, what did? How did the price of the trigger go up? Like I don't, I don't even know. get how that. I have no idea. That nothing changed on it. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's. I've thought about it. I I had one day where I was like totally manic and I'm like, dude, like I'm going to get the MDT buttstock to fit on this. And I, I don't think it's possible because of how the AI grip skins fit over and just kind of some BS reason where I worked on it and I'm like, this is going to work. And then like one thing was like, Oh shit, even that's 400 bucks. So it's like, well, Well, I'd rather pay 400 than 900 if it would work, you know, if you had the folding hinge and there's one thing that does suck too. So if you've got an AT and you shoot a right-handed AT, the stock folds to the left. It doesn't fold over the bolt. So if you want the AX butt stock, it has a brand new hinge that folds to the right to fold over the bolt. Well, on the current generation, the hinge isn't symmetrical. And I never noticed it until I debonded a bunch of them. The top is flat. And the bottom is curved. So if you got a new buttstock for $400 and it didn't have the hinge, you couldn't flip the hinge because it would look retarded. It wouldn't line up with yeah. the grips. Yeah. So that's just a whole other thing of like, God dang it. So somebody's got a fixed AT and they want a folding stock, then they're kind of stuck. And, and But I will say that the Vision chassis has a hinge that, I don't, I'm not spilling any beans. I talked to Christian about it. It's it's based on the AI hinge. It's not. It's a how 30 year old hinge design or something. It's to my knowledge not patented or anything like that. So if you take a hinge apart, which I've taken a bunch apart and look at it, and then look at the Vision hinge, it's very similar, but his is modernized. And like I said, I don't have one in hand, so I can't say it's as good. But when I I looked at it and I approached him and I said, dude, did you rip off the AI hinge? And he said, there's no patents. There's nothing protecting it. And it's, it's like an AI hinge, but modern. And it's like, that's pretty badass. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Honestly, I, I kind of miss the, the left folding hinge of my AT. I know everyone wants a right folding hinge to go over the bolt, and I understand that that is a nice feature. If you, but mm-hmm. my 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 shit's never folded. Only time I I take uh, I fold the buttstock is taking the bolt out. Yeah. And, and I just if I if I'm working my rifle, it's easier me to get the bolt out if the buttstock folds to the left than it yeah. is me reaching over and balancing the rifle and pull you know doing all that. I'd rather fold it left and hit the button, pull the bolt out. Yeah. So that that's my only beef with the the hinge situation. Um, having the AX buttstock, because I liked the left folding hinge better. Because like I said, my gun case is my sight that I use, which I don't I've never flown with my rifle before. But um, you know, my all my hard cases they're long enough to where I don't have to fold it. Um, my soft case that it's in it lives in when I'm not here at the house or you know currently shooting it then it's long enough to it's a, a uh, armageddon gear rifle case and it's long enough for the rifle to go in with the buttstock out yeah so i don't need that compactness of folding the rifle 
but it does help with cleaning the rifle and with removing the bolt and everything. And so I miss, I miss the left side folding. I'll just spend 300 bucks, buy an AT stock, debond both halves, and then, then debond your both half. And yeah, <laughs> I, I, I sold it. So I sold my AT stock with the folder. I had I, it. I sure ain't buying one again. I won't comment how many folding hinges I have in my possession right now. It's too many. <laughs> I have a sickness. <laughs> wait, wait. You have a left-handed rifle. So a left-handed AX, it should fold over the bolt. So it yep. should fold my way. Yep. Oh, how about that? <laughs> well, but, is there anything else you want to get out, dude? Uh, No, I don't think so. Just anybody that's interested or patiently waiting, just, uh, I don't know, just wait a little bit more. Hopefully have more details. But like I said, like this, this dude has got a shit ton of material, and he is about to machine it. So it is real. Same with the original run. I, I didn't lie to anybody. It, I said it was going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah, and I should have done this the last time you came on, but if anybody listening to this is is you know this podcast put you over the edge to to finally make the leap and do it, do me a favor and send Sam a message on either Sniper's Hide, or Sam B three hundred, or it's uh, Sam Burns or Accuracy Obsession on Instagram, uh, and let him know. Just say hey. I ordered you, you're not ordering it through Sam, you're ordering it through Vision or that other the guy down in Florida, which was what was the site? It's gcprifleco.com. There you go. You're ordering it through him, so don't send it to him because they have no idea who the fuck I am, really. I don't believe, but <laughs> uh, send Sam a message and say, Hey man, uh, I ordered a chassis today, or I'm thinking about ordering, I really want to order it, and just let him know, Hey, I heard you on the podcast. It's, this is the only podcast Sam's been on so far, and he'll know what you're talking about. It's it'll make make me feel good to know that he, that you guys heard it here, and and it, this this conversation led you to uh, to to make the purchase, and that would be awesome. I mean, I'm not getting anything from it, um, but I, it feels good to know. I know I know Sam would and, and would appreciate knowing that where you know he spent two hours of me on a Skype phone call that it was you know not in vain you know so uh, it's not in vain it's good to talk to you buddy yeah i know but <laughs> um yeah i don't have anything else but i do have other than i do have some housekeeping i want to do you so you can just stay on while i'm doing it sure um I, I made a video on uh instagram basically right here at the end of the year thanking everybody um for everything thanking everybody for the support um you guys have been awesome there's no sponsors i get zero monetary gain not one penny for doing this podcast and but what i do get is a lot of support and uh new friends new relationships and i mean i look if you see me at a match you're not going to bother me at all. It feels good. Say, hey, man, enjoy the podcast. Even if you don't know me, it's happened multiple times at matches. People who I don't know from Adam's dog will come up to me um, when I'm, you know, you know, one time was in, I can't remember if it was in Virginia or West Virginia, and I was so hot and miserable. It was 100 degrees. Both those matches were 150 degrees, 
and I was, you know, feeling just getting beat up by the heat. And then someone kind of, hey, dude, I love the podcast. And it, it felt good. You know what I'm saying? It made me kind of like, oh, cool, man. That's cool. So it kind of got me out of that little, you know, rut pity party I was having myself. So I, I appreciate everybody's support. And, yeah, by all means, please, I'm the most approachable person on the planet. So come talk to me. And also, I didn't know. I saw this today. I checked on my podcast uh, on Podbean. I don't know if. All right. So with iTunes, with uh, Spotify, Pocket Cast, all the other platforms other than Podbean. What I do is I basically when I submitted my podcast to them, I just submitted my URL, um, whatever to that so it basically just took the information it takes the information from from podbean because i host it on podbean and it sends it to all of these other platforms like i said itunes all that so i don't know if if the data that i have in front of me is podbean only or all of that all those platforms fed back into podbean or not i don't know but i looked through and saw the countries that my podcast has been downloaded in. Now, that's not even streamed. You've heard me say before that I have zero metric. I have no idea how many times this podcast is ever streamed. They don't count them. They don't give you any kind of feedback or data on it. So I'm at right at, you know, just over 25,000 downloads which is crazy. I never would have thought to get that much grand scheme compared to other people. It's not much, but to me it's huge and I appreciate it. But the countries I'm going to read the list of countries. And if you're in one of these countries, then this here's your shout out. Obviously U S Canada, Australia, Sweden, Norway, the UK, New Zealand, Belgium, Finland, Japan, South Africa, Ireland, Denmark, Chile, Poland, Austria, Mexico, Jordan, Ukraine, France, Virgin Islands, a country I ain't even fucking heard of before. Brunei, Jerusalem. I, I don't even know where the fuck that is. If my life depended on finding out on a map, I'd be dead as shit. South Korea, Germany, Nambia, uh, Netherlands, Spain, Guatemala, Iraq, Iceland, United States, minor outlying islands, Portugal, India, Iran, Italy, Kenya, Qatar, Romania, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, and unknown. Now, I don't know where unknown is, but there's 41 <laughs> downloads from unknown. Unknown is Theus. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> Theus is in his, Theus is your own country. We know how it goes. Um, but e- either way, it was that just that is so humbling to me, and I, I appreciate everybody's support that I've gotten, and like I said, the friends I've made to the podcast. Um, and, and of course I have my guests that I have come on to thank people like you, Sam and, and everybody, you know, my friends that come on Jeff and CL and then, uh, you know, those guys, they're my, they're my two best friends and, you know, they're like my biggest fans too, which is awesome. I, you know, I, I, they get, they tell me all the time how proud of me they are that I'm still doing this and doing well at it and everybody enjoys it. So, um, thanks again, guys. Um, you know, like, I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight. It's 11 o'clock here. I know after the pop, uh, the Keith Baker podcast, the podcast was like two and a half hours long. It, we talked for four hours. So we were on Skype for a total of four hours and only two and a half hours of that was podcast. 
And I got off the podcast and got went downstairs, uh, uploaded to Podbean. It, it was about uh, 12, 30, 1 o'clock when I went to bed. I did not go to sleep that night. I don't know if, if it was my brain just has been firing and I just couldn't shut it off. I was so tired the whole time with, with Keith. I was yawning because I take my medicine that helps me sleep. No, it's not fucking. Uh, what's that called? Shit. What's that sleep medication called? It fucks everybody up. Rose Ambien. Yeah, fuck. Um, no, it's not that. But anyway, um, and I was yawning the whole time and I felt rude, but I, it wasn't, it was, I had to take my medicine beforehand or else I wouldn't sleep. I still didn't sleep because I could not. So I am losing sleep for you guys because <laughs> a whole night, literally I watched every hour go by. I never fallen asleep, saw the sun come up, said, fuck it. I'm up. Um, but, uh, and I don't regret it one bit. If I don't sleep the night worth of shit, cause I can't turn the brain off. I'll be thinking about does all the air pressure. My tires match. I don't know. Stupid shit. Um, is what will keep me up tonight. And, um, but it doesn't matter. You guys, I do it for you and, and I, I appreciate the support that I get back. So, Hey, do me a favor. Instead of streaming, if you can download that, if you I mean, download the, the episodes, download them. So way I get a better idea of how many people are listening. And, uh, you know, if you want to download it, then delete it. I don't give a shit. Um, and, and comment, talk to me, talk to me in the Podbean app, talk to me on, on Instagram, talk to me on, on the, in the Facebook group. Um, and, uh, you know, let me know what something you want to talk about. Let me know if maybe a, a guest idea you've got. And, um, you know, this is like the people's podcast. I want, you know, I'm, I am one of you. So let me know, give me feedback of what you want from the podcast. And if it's a pretty kick-ass idea, then we'll, uh, I'm, I'm down to do it. it ain't gotta be my idea. So there's a lot more you than there are of me to come up with these ideas. So anyway, that's the uh, that's the housekeeping I want to take care of. So Sam, if you ain't got nothing else, brother, again, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Yep, good talking to you. Always. Yeah, yeah, guys, get the chassis, get an AI, the way to go, get a, a fixed AT, get the chassis, get the folder with the hinge, and you've got a kick-ass rifle for a lifetime. Like. Period. You'll love it. I promise you, you'll love it. So anyway, cool. Once again, thanks guys for uh, checking me out and and sticking here and listening. So uh, we will catch you next time. Peace.